0: A Western Airlines DC-10 is landing in Mexico City when something goes wrong. What caused the landing to end in chaos?
1: Welcome back to the Hard Landings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick.
0: I'm Miranda. I'm Christy.
1: And we have... Uh... Brendan! (laughs) (laughs) That's much better. Brendan's with us today. Clearly. Um, that was uh, it was supposed to happen last month, but it didn't happen, and then it was also requested again. So,
0: Sort of.
2: Hey, this is an episode that Rich requested, so, oh, wait, so it works out well.
1: Hey. Thanks for recommending this one, Rich. The quality, quality meme. Quality meme. That was good, a great one, Rich. Good we quality love... meme. Though, Him and I Rich. love that movie.
2: If you don't know what we're talking <laughs> about, go look at
1: our Facebook page and find
2: somewhere on the one of the comments for garuda 200 post post yeah yeah you You'll could see.
1: check out facebook or you could go to patreon God. oh you're gonna do this again <laughs> <laughs> hey it worked last time
2: so what are we covering today nick
1: <laughs> so today we are covering western airlines flight 2605 this one uh might be
0: kind of short sorry So, the reason for that, just to kind of preface, is the report wasn't actually, like, published-published. Rather, the contents were issued-published in an ICAO circular, which is what we're reading from.
1: Yeah. Which you can see
0: on said website.
1: And it's only, uh, like, nine pages of it.
0: My part-so, I normally read section two, which is the analysis. Normally, it's, like, "Mm, 20 pages. This time, it's three quarters of a page- right so it's gonna be fun yes
3: i like these you know just in and out real quick
1: yes well this one is going to feel pretty quick but also absolutely horrendous and there's a lot of things that come with this
3: well a plane crash i'd hope it's horrendous i mean
1: (laughs) this one in particular you know it's cringy not to put it bluntly but most accidents we have it's like airplane impact done that's it. This one's a little more complicated than that. So this happened on July 31st of 1979. This was a Douglas DC-10. Hey. hey! we're finally covering a DC-10 again. DC-10! And we've actually covered one from the same year. This yep. time, if you can figure out which one it is, post it in the comments. And it's also not the last one we'll cover from this year of a DC-10.
2: That's sad.
1: Yeah, wasn't it? What was the span on that? One was five months apart, and one was only a month apart. Quality. Yeah. This DC-10 was November 903 Whiskey Alpha. The captain for our flight was Charles Gilbert. He was 53 years old, and here is the craziest thing I found out. He had 31,500 hours. I'm sorry. He is the most experienced person we've ever talked about on this podcast. I feel
2: like we always say that. But okay,
0: but this one, we've never reached into the 30,000s before. True.
1: And it's going to make you mad, because that's a lot of experience.
0: Okay. So I, I
3: learned something this week on a YouTube channel. Okay. As you do. flying, aviation. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. where
0: you learn it?
1: Experience does not equal mastery. No, it does not. Or
3: which intelligence. I'm sure we'll figure out
0: today,
1: yes. Yes, you will find out today. <laughs>
0: Great. And,
1: as a matter of fact, he only had 2,248 hours on this airplane type, which is a fair amount, but not huge. Some of the pilots we've talked about in the past have, like, eight, 9,000 hours on a type.
2: Yeah, compared so to his 31,000 hours, that's like a blip.
1: Yes. They also become overconfident. There's a whole different thing that comes with that. That's all part of crew resource management, which didn't exist yet. So, who needs it? Who needs it? <laughs> The first officer for our flight was Ernst Rachel Rachel Rachel. He was 46 years old. He didn't they did not know how many hours he actually had total. Uh, they couldn't figure it out.
0: Okay. Um,
1: but he did have 354 hours on the type, so not very many. The flight engineer was Daniel Walsh. That was an easy name. He was 39 years old. He had 4000 hours total of which 1390 hours were on the DC-10. This flight was from LAX or Los Angeles International Airport blah, to Mexico City International in Mexico City in Mexico. Mexico.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: no way. <laughs> yeah. And they were flying in a flight that was actually had a name. This this flight was called the Night Owl. This flight had 76 passengers and 13 crew. Why was it called the Night Owl flight? That's because it left LAX at 1.40 in the morning.
2: Ew. Gross.
1: <laughs> yep. So it flew not even really a red eye to Mexico City. Yeah, it Mexico probably got City. in at
3: what, like maybe 5, 6 o'clock in the morning. Oh,
1: yeah. Not even, I think. it's like 4 something in the morning. Ew. Maybe 5. It's probably 5 Probably something. 5, yeah. 5 something in the morning. They got to Mexico City before dawn. That's about right.
2: That's gross. So,
1: yeah. That's why it was called the Night Owl because it's also not even really a red eye, which normally leave at or before midnight. This was well after midnight. The flight passed uneventfully. The end. (laughs) You wish. As the airplane entered the area of Mexico City, the Mexico Center Controller cleared the flight to approach Mexico City via Tepexapan. And the only reason I really wrote that in there is because I wanted to say (laughs) Tepexapan. It's legit. Yeah. Yeah. The air traffic controller then instructed the flight crew to change frequencies to Mexico City Control Tower. The tower controller informed the crew that runway 23R was in use, and then provided weather data and landing info for the airport. The weather was cloudy with lowish fog. As the aircraft entered its final approach, the air traffic controller once again informed the flight crew that the runway in use was runway 23R, and then proceeded to point out that they appeared to be left of that approach path. The flight crew acknowledged the runway and that they were left of the course. So, okay, they're aware of this. Sure. A few minutes passed. Then the air traffic controller asked the flight if they could see the approach lights to their left, to which the flight crew replied, negative.
2: I thought they were to the left.
1: We'll get to this in a minute. Oh, Because this is very confusing what's happening. But it'll all make sense soon enough. Okay. The published approach procedure for the instrument landing system approach... Required that if the runway was not visible by 600 foot above ground level, that they would climb out to 8,500 feet on a go around. And that's mean sea level. So Mexico City's a very high airport too, by the way. It's higher than Denver. It is up there. As the plane reached 600 feet, however, there was no call out by the crew. Mm. Quality. And they continued their approach.
2: Quality crew there.
1: Just the same. No altitude call outs were made at all. At any point in time. Oh, that's good. This is why they just had the airplane start doing it. Yes, this is why they had the airplane start doing they, it. They weren't
2: pilots weren't doing it? Yeah. And then they didn't realize how close they were to the ground? Mm-hmm.
1: The pilot in command who, they didn't really clarify, but I am actually assuming is the captain based on the way they wrote the rest of the report. So I'm going to say the captain suddenly said that he was on the flight path for runway 23 left. Okay. What? Back up. What did their traffic controller tell them several times? They were to approach two three right.
2: Uh oh. Spaghettios.
1: Immediately after this the captain said this, the left main landing gear touched down on the grass to the left of runway two three left. And the right landing gear on the left shoulder of two three left.
2: So they weren't even on the runway. Uh uh. They They were left
1: of they they weren't
0: even on the runway. That was the wrong runway.
1: They were left of the left runway. Did they know they were that close to the ground? I have no clue. Because,
3: yeah, they weren't making their call-outs. Yeah, there was no indication. Exactly. Look
2: at that. See? That's that's the the problem they had.
3: That's that's why I'm I'm flying my little 172 around. I go, 50,
1: 40, 30.
3: (laughs) No, I do not. Don't do do that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Retard. Retard. (laughs) Retard. Okay. The aircraft entered the runway fully 100 meters later. It's a pretty good distance later. At least they got on the runway. Yeah, eventually. The flight crew proceeded to then increase engine power for a go-around, and they lifted the nose up 10 to 11 degrees. Why? Well, the airplane became airborne for a moment, but only about at the moment that it also struck a truck with the right main landing gear that was on the left shoulder of the runway, which really confused me. So they managed to lift, I think because they were going back to the left all of a sudden. And they managed to strike this truck on the left shoulder with the right main landing gear. Wow. Yeah. The uh, truck was loaded with 10 tons of earth. This, dirt. Yes, dirt. That is, <laughs> in the report, they earth. wrote earth. That or dirt. Dirt. Yes, dirt. This heavy truck managed to remove the entire right landing gear of the airplane. Oh. The pieces of the right landing gear then struck the tailplane, severing the right horizontal stabilizer in the elevator.
2: Oh, that's not good.
1: The flaps also struck the truck and were removed from the right wing. So
2: that that plane's not taking off anymore.
1: Uh, nope. Nope. The truck broke apart completely. I'll say the truck ain't going anywhere <laughs> anymore. I <either>. know. <laughs> uh, uh, the airplane banked hard right and struck the ground and an excavator. The airplane scraped across taxiway Alpha. Severed sections of the wing were embedded very deep into the taxiway. As a matter of fact. The wing was fractured and fuel was pouring out as they proceeded across Taxiway Alpha and across Taxiway Papa. The right wing was having a bad day.
0: Nah, really?
1: The right wing then went through a hangar. (laughs) Oh my god. Which did not slow the airplane down at all, by the way. Was the left wing doing better? Mm, It was flying. (laughs) Why? Well, the airplane managed to roll over. Oh yeah, more lift on one side. Just in time to impact a building, demolishing both. The airplane in the building. Very large fire explosion ensued. I found no data about how emergency crews reacted to this, but needless to say, this was horrible. I mean, this was... Very a la Michael Bay. Insane, yes. 11 crews, 61 passengers, and one person on the ground perished in the accident. 13 passengers were seriously injured, and two crew were only minorly injured, and then two passengers were uninjured completely. Wow! blows my mind.
0: Lucky. I know this has come up in, like, those clickbait websites before. What's the best seat on an airplane? There is none. Yeah. If you garner an anything from this podcast, you can sit anywhere in the plane and be killed. So, don't worry about it.
1: Yeah. It's
3: better if you sit near an exit, though.
1: It is. You're more likely to get out if you survive the accident.
0: Some people are like, it's the tail. I'm like, please review Asiana. Thank or you.
1: Or quite a few others. That's it. That is what the report gave. okay, they gave a lot more detailed about like how the right landing gear tore apart, like they specifically said where the brakes ended up and where the wheels ended up. I'm like, I, none of this even matters. There are pieces that are missing of this.
0: Was uh, the one person who was killed in the truck?
1: no that they would were be I think they were I think they were actually by the hangar. Oh I, I mean, think they were in a car that was in a parking lot by the hangar because it did manage to go also through a parking lot, by the way, and I think they said that they were. Our last two
0: flights, like just don't be in a car near an airport, mm, I guess. Yeah,
1: something like that. I'm in. The, I do that often. Oh crap! <laughs> I do it too. Oh
0: crap! So do we. <laughs> You're
2: There's... in the
3: we danger park... zone. Danger
2: zone. Thank you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we usually park on the approach path when we're plane spotting. Yeah. Yes.
2: We literally, if something goes down too early, we're screwed. <laughs> yeah. Just know that if we all die in a plane crash, it's definitely Brendan's fault, even if he's not flying the plane.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The investigating body for this accident was the Directorate General of Civil Aeronautics, also known as the DGAC of Mexico.
1: Yes. And I think they had obviously worked with the NTSB because it was an American airplane with a lot of American passengers on board.
0: And as we'll talk about later, the NTSB is the one who made safety recommendations. Yes. Yes. So the analysis is broken down more like conclusions, even though there are also conclusions. So I'm going to read these basically outright. It's all I really have to go on. Sorry. Not my fault. The aircraft is performing flight 2605 from Los Angeles to Mexico City. Here's something I don't know if Nick mentioned or not, but a NOTAM was issued informing all airlines, both foreign and domestic, operating into or out of Mexico City International Airport that, effective that date, runway 23 left was closed for resurfacing.
1: Yeah, I was hoping you would bring that up. I specifically left it out. Nick did not mention it's that. It's I know. That's because it's her job. <laughs> did they pick up the weather and analyze what happened? <laughs> oh, they were given the weather by air traffic controllers. Oh. Did the ATIS exist at that point? In time? I don't know. At Mexico City? I don't know.
0: So I, I cannot figure out when ATIS is started that's to okay. be a thing.
3: No, so that's okay. Okay. Not pertinent.
0: Ca- cannot confirm nor
2: deny. There was... A tam, And the NOTAM said
0: the that runway 23 left, a.k.a. 5 right, was closed. Yes. So, theoretically, they should have known this.
3: Yep, so there wasn't even really a runway, it was just more dirt.
1: Well, a resurfacing. There were resurfacing
3: parts So they of
0: probably it, so. tore up parts of it. Yeah. So. Alright. The flight was normal from LAX to final approach. Fantastic. Like
1: I said, end of story.
0: Okay, <laughs> cool. When close to Mexico City, Mexico Center cleared them in via Tepexpan.
1: Tepexpan, yeah.
0: And in due course, the crew were given instructions to change over to tower control. They did receive landing instructions: for runway two, three, right.
1: Yeah. As a matter of fact, how many times? I can tell you.
0: How many times?
1: Four. Jesus. Four times. Air traffic controllers told them two, three, right.
0: The tower operator also realized that the aircraft was to the left of a said
2: cleared runway and told the crew, like, hey, are you good? I'm kind of surprised he didn't just tell them that, hey, you're uh, like a lot left to your approach there, friendo. Uh, What are you doing? Yeah. (laughs) Because normally I would think, and again, this is 1979, so, I mean, I don't know back then, but today, if you came in really far left of your approach, the tower controller would probably be like, um... (laughs) Are well, you okay? <laughs> I'm
3: guessing that they saw him on radar.
2: Yeah.
0: Which
3: I don't know how accurate it was back then.
0: Well, right. And I'm about to explain kind of why the tower control didn't do a whole lot further and might also explain why the crew. I don't know. I mean, I can't really explain it, but here, right. here's the, the excuse I got. So they didn't actually deviate to the left runway until they were at 600 feet above the ground. And it was at this point that the control tower could not see them at all
2: because of a fog bank. Yep. So they were—they couldn't see the ground, and the tower controller couldn't see them.
3: Right. Yeah. So I'm guessing that they could see them before, then they went into the fog bank, and then they couldn't be seen.
2: Correct. Yes. Which, part of me is
0: like, yeah, that's why they went to the wrong runway. But the other part of me is like... Fly in a straight they're, line? But they're
2: on an ILS, right? So they should have caught the ILS at some point to get to the right runway.
3: Also, how do you be at the right runway at 600 feet and then the wrong
1: runway...
0: 600, 600 feet, feet later.
1: I don't know why it's written in the report that way, because the story tells it that they were actually on an ILS approach for 2-3 left. And they oh. were aware of that, and they were supposed to do a sidestep two three two three right. They never did.
0: The whole thing's whack
1: quality reporting. Yep. Yeah, the reports are lovely for this one. Huh.
0: And then it says that they touched down on the left-hand side of the threshold of runway 23 left, about 100 meters off center. And then after covering 224 meters and became becoming airborne again, the aircraft's right landing gear collided with a truck loaded with Earth, dirt, which at the time was on the shoulder of the closed runway.
2: So what I'm really confused about is if the runway was being resurfaced. Why were they using an ILS period on that runway? Why was it operating? Yes. No why... idea.
1: More than likely it's because 2-3-right probably didn't have an ILS.
0: Oh, so they had to use that to get down to a certain And then they height. were
1: supposed to. And we'll talk about the term sidestep in a minute because it didn't exist yet. And then they were supposed to sidestep over to 2-3-right. So as a matter of fact, it's explained here in the, the loveliest of all sources, Wikipedia. At the time of the accident, runway 23 left had full instrument approach equipment, including the instrument landing system, while runway two-three right did not.
2: So then, why were they even using two-three right?
1: Because two-three left was closed. Yes,
2: it was being but resurfaced. if it's if you're in visibility conditions where you can't see, we'll get to that because left you are correct. Or right, then why would you even? Why wouldn't you just say, "Hey, the the we're closed until visibility is better."
1: In the air traffic control tower, sometimes it's hard to tell if the airplanes can actually see the runway when they can or can't. So they kind of rely on the pilots to make the decision of going around or not. The air traffic controllers can't necessarily close the airport unless it's verified that distance visible is. the visibility distance is not. I'm just at really all.
2: surprised that they were allowed to use an ILS when they could have done an, a VFR approach and then they would have known that they couldn't and then. Would have gone to a different airport. I
1: mean, at most commercial airports, you want to do an ILS approach.
2: Well, yes. I mean, to be fair, we've talked about ILSs. ILS approaches are super uh, accurate. Yes. So it's very easy for you to get down to the runway. But if you only have that on one runway, (laughs) then it's hard for me to believe that you would just let them use the one that's closed and then have them do a sidestep. Like to me, this is actually like so much more work. It seems
1: like it, but that's actually very normal procedure.
3: Actually, other than this. about a month ago or something, it's actually not the controllers who decide when the airport is closed or not. No. It's the airport management themselves.
1: Yeah, so most of the time like the airport operations or the uh port authority. Right. So if there's still a safe way to get to the active runway, they'll use it. In this
3: case it was taking the ILS for was it two three two left, three left and sidestep to two three right. Right.
0: Which also, for a reason that you might continue to
2: use it, even though it doesn't seem like the best circumstances, purely money. Yeah, I mean, I get that, right? Most of aviation, the stuff that happens, has to do with money.
1: Big problem? Mexico City's also in a very isolated spot in reality, and while they're all, there are alternates, it's pretty difficult for a lot of these planes, actually, to get to the alternates from Mexico City. Not as much now, but back then it was probably a bigger problem. Because Mexico yeah. City sits in a bowl.
2: Which yeah, is also does. explains the fog bank.
1: Yes, it's very common at Mexico City, so this wasn't anything abnormal to them at all.
2: Well, and it, I don't know if you said this. I'm pretty sure I watched something or heard something about this flight mm-hmm. where this captain did this flight multiple times. Oh, yes.
1: I mean, with that kind of experience, I'm sure he did. As a matter of fact, uh, 20 minutes before this flight was another Western Air 727 from LAX to uh, Mexico City that landed without without incident. So, in the same conditions.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, part of this has to be pilot error, right? But most of it's pilot error. Um, well, I mean...
1: that's pretty much entirely pilot error.
2: That was the analysis. That was it. Yeah. I just find it very interesting that... I mean, so this crew obviously wasn't really following procedure because they didn't do any of their altitude call-outs, right? Right. And back then, it wasn't automated, like we said earlier in the episode. Right. So when you have a team that's not working as a team, it's always a problem.
1: Yeah, crew resource management was thrown out the window on this flight. That which is, Which it, it didn't, didn't exist. exist yet, so... Right, but still, I mean, any kind of concept I of mean, crew resource management... I mean, this is just
2: proper procedure, though. Done. It's not even, like, the fact of crew resource management, even though it didn't exist yet, right? It's, right. this is proper procedure is you do the call-outs when you get to certain altitudes, and they didn't do those procedures. So my thought is, is what other procedures did they not do? Right. Because... At some point, you have to think there had to be some point where someone thought that they they weren't on the right track.
1: So I would agree with you, and I would love to know more. They talk all about the CVR and the FDR data. There just isn't a report that tells us what really happened. Who knew and who didn't know, what was done about it, that kind of thing.
2: Or it- if nobody knew and no one said anything. Like, we don't.
1: Did they confirm that they
3: were on the ILS for 2-3 left?
1: Yes, and actually it was an air traffic controller instruction to use the instrument landing system for 2-3 left.
3: Okay, because I, I didn't hear any of that. From the... Yeah,
1: it really wasn't in the anywhere in the report. Huh. As a matter of fact, they didn't make that very clear. But I can tell you from, again, the Wikipedia page, it says, As Flight 2605 approached Mexico City International Airport, air traffic controllers cleared it for an instrument approach using ILS of Runway 2-3 left with an expected landing, Runway 23 Right. Okay. So, when the air traffic Controller was clarifying to them, like, you're still on the left, he probably knew they were on that ILS approach, but was expecting them to step over to the right much sooner, and they never did.
0: Uh, well, and he didn't get to see them not do it,
2: because of the fog bank. Right. Well, Which and- happened to be right at... Minimum descent altitude. I mean, and I don't know, we don't really have a lot of information about the state of the captain and the first officer and the flight engineer before this even took place. I mean, at 1 a.m. to 1 a.m. to 4 a.m. or 5 a.m., most people are sleeping, and that's during your natural sleep time. So if you didn't get enough rest before this flight, it could be an issue of fatigue. That you went in autopilot and you went down to the ILS and just went to the ILS without side-stepping. Right. Because you're tired and you don't realize it, you know, until it's too late. And at this time, they also don't have the big giant X saying,
0: hey, this runway's closed. Right.
1: So another thing I couldn't find was the exact time that the airplane touched down. What I do know is, yes, it was between 5 and 6 o'clock, actually. Written here, it says at 5 a.m., a weather report indicated visibility two to three miles, but by 6 a.m., a weather report came out with a visibility described as zero.
2: So it's kind of impossible to say. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's like multiple factors that could factor into why they may have made this approach and didn't sidestep.
1: Yeah, but the biggest thing is that they didn't make any call-outs. They weren't working together, and it was pretty clear that...
0: There was no crew resource management.
1: And they were just completely disoriented. They just were fixated on putting the airplane on the ground. I get it. They flew through the middle of the night, but big airplane, a lot of passengers, big airport, big city. Well, and
2: they realized too late that they needed to do a go around. If they had realized when they touched down on the grass that they needed to do a go around right away, they probably would have cleared the truck, but they didn't do that until they were more than what? 224 meters down the runway. Yeah, Yeah. So until they were farther down the runway, if they had done, if they had made that decision earlier, they could have cleared the truck and probably have been fine. But, and I mean, I don't know, maybe they wouldn't have, I don't know the, the rate of a DC 10 and how fast it can do a go around, but that is an extra 214, whatever meters that they could have had to get the airplane back up rather than it hitting a truck. Right. So,
3: so yeah, that's one of the tough things, especially going through training, is that you can do a go around at any point. You just have to determine now like it more damage by taking off again or more damage well what's worse, you know, picking the Right.
2: And they couldn't see. Right. So I mean, could they see the truck? I don't know. So here. we're gonna we're gonna listen to it during the break, but I'm gonna try to put it in here at the end. A segment with the C V R.
1: It is Actually, one of the worst CVR recordings I've ever heard. I haven't heard a lot of them because most of the time they don't publish them, but this one is horrifying. Yeah. It's really, really horrifying.
2: This CVR contains graphic content. Listener discretion is advised. No, this is approaching the goddamn left.
0: So we just listened to the cockpit voice recorder, which
2: I'm sure Miranda found a way to insert. I will put the link to the YouTube video because it has captions. If you can't hear what's going on, but to me it sounds like, first of all, and we talked about it a little bit, but it sounds like they had no idea how close they were to the ground,
0: and they were discussing a go around when, well, even they more first impact because yeah, they said
3: the
1: 8,500. Yeah, they were talking about the 8,500, like climb out to 8,500, which is the procedure for a go around and what they're talking about at the time what it makes it sound like is that they're on the approach they were discussing okay they're cleared for the runway on the right and they understand that but they're trying they to realize, clarify yes but we're on the approach for the yeah. left side not realizing they're like seconds from touchdown
2: already on the left
0: yeah and what it also sounds like is that they're getting ready for mda to determine like go no go almost it's like, yeah Okay, if we don't see the runway, we'll do a go-around. That's almost what it sounds like to me.
2: Now, realize that this is the last, I don't know, 30 seconds or so of the recording of the CVR. We don't know what came before this. 26 seconds, yeah. So, I mean, it sounds to me, and it could be interpreted multiple different ways, but they realized at the last second that they weren't on the right track to land on the right runway. And then... They hit the ground and they were like, um, well.
1: It was at that moment they realized they didn't even, they didn't even know how close they were to the ground. They touched down at that moment from the sound of it, not knowing. And at that impact, then they're, they're saying, go around, go around, get get it up, basically. And that's when they impacted the truck. And it was just, yeah, it was an all around really bad situation. Big loss communication. Obviously, visibility was way too low. They should have gone around much earlier if they were paying attention to their altitudes. My guess too is that the runway lights for that runway were not on. Probably not if it was under construction. Right. They probably wouldn't know.
2: They asked if they could see the runway, the landing lights on the runway, and they never gave an answer. From what you said, like they never said anything to the air traffic controller. That said they could see the landing lights.
1: They couldn't see... Yeah, they couldn't see anything. They couldn't see the approach lights or anything. if
2: they had said something to the controller when the controller asked them, it probably would have triggered something in the controller's mind to say, Hey, like, you should be seeing the lights by now. You're at this altitude. Maybe you should decide to go around or whatever. Yeah. Can can a controller, like...
1: They can issue a go-around. Okay. Yep, absolutely. A controller can issue a go-around. Particularly if they notice the airplane is obviously in an unsafe situation. They can issue actually go around, but obviously there was some breakdown in communication there with the air traffic controllers. And we'll get to that in a minute because some of that comes in here. So they have not findings, but conclusions. And I'll read this verbatim because there's really not that very There's not that many. There's, a, what is it, 10 of them plus a probable cause at the end. So the first one is just that the, the aircraft's crew were licensed. They concluded. Wow, wow.
2: <laughs> they concluded. They concluded. Oh my gosh.
1: Yes. Normally you say they found. Yeah, because normally it's a finding. This is... They concluded. They concluded. concluded. They concluded that Western Airlines, the owner of the aircraft, had brought to the attention of all crews flying on services to Mexico, NOTAM number 2841 issued on 19th October of 1979... That runway 5 right, 2-3 left would be closed for all operations for resurfacing work from the date of the NOTAM.
2: So they even got a thing from Western Airlines that said, hey, just so you know, they're resurfacing this runway.
1: Right. Yes.
2: Not just a NOTAM from the airport, but also just it. sure... Well, it sure... was the same NOTAM. Well, yes, but they. my point is, is they got it from the airline first, and then they also got it from... You know, the air traffic controllers, not just... They didn't just get the information once.
3: The dispatcher gave them the information. Yes, the dispatcher. They had to, of course, read through. Which... Assuming they did. We know that
2: sometimes they don't, but they had the information.
1: Right. They concluded that during the Los Angeles-Mexico flight... The aircraft's crew had not reported any difficulties to any control center within the National Territory of Mexico, so they hadn't said that anything was wrong at any point in time to anybody outside of the airplane. They concluded that when the aircraft's crew contacted the control tower of Mexico City International Airport, it was given the relevant instructions for landing and was cleared to runway 23 right. This was acknowledged by the crew. They concluded that the control tower reminded the crew of the aircraft that the runway Allocated for the landing was 2-3 right. They concluded that during the final approach to the runway assigned, and having reached a height of 800 feet above the ground, the aircraft flew into a fog bank, which concealed it from the control tower operator. They concluded that the aircraft's crew did not comply with the procedural minima for the approach, for which it had been cleared, in that the crew descended below the minima without reporting the runway in sight or initiating a go-around procedure. They concluded that the crew never reported to the control tower operator that the runway was in sight and no landing clearance was therefore given.
2: Oh, they didn't even have landing clearance. Yeah.
1: I don't know if you ever noticed that, but I never said they were because they weren't. And that was kind of a key thing I wanted to wait till now to talk about. But, yeah, the air traffic controllers didn't give them clearance because they had never reported the runway in sight. and They were literally waiting for it. That's why the air traffic controller asked at one point, can you see the approach lights on the left? right. They never saw it. They hit the ground. And so my curiosity is, is what Mexico City had for radar control at the time, because obviously they knew, the air traffic controller knew that they were left of the course. They could see that. But how did they not then, do they not have altitude information? Did they not, were they not tracking the airplane's proximity to the runways? I mean, it just, it seems strange to me.
0: How fast was it, quote unquote, refreshing the image? Right. That's another thing. And then so we discussed a similar incident in a Miranda Sode when we discussed Singapore Airlines Which flight you can listen to if six.
1: you if you were a patron on <laughs> Patreon. Stop I did your job.
0: job. <laughs> you should have said something.
1: I beat you to it.
2: Anyway. So yeah, I covered a a Singapore Airlines flight six that a bunch of stuff went wrong there with like Lights, but
0: that's that's more of what I have questions about that I feel this report didn't answer. What was the lighting situation? Yeah, they really
1: didn't say.
2: Because the whole point of land, or I guess landing lights, approach lights, approach lights,
1: landing lights are on the airplane. Approach lights are on the
2: ground. Okay, thank you. Yes, good to know. Yes. So now you know. The more you know. The more you know. If you don't know, now now you you know. know. So the approach lights are supposed to be, nowadays, they're LEDs, so they're super bright. But I remember when I did the research for Singapore Flight 6, that the lights were actually very dim and some of them were out. And because we don't have a full report on this accident, we don't know what the lights were. Were they LEDs? At that point, probably what? not, right? Because this is 1979. How bright were they? Were they be able to see them through the fog why didn't the air traffic controller ask them again when they didn't answer
1: yeah i mean there's there's a lot of things about this that are just wrong just wrong and we'll finish up the last two conclusions here and then we can discuss this a little bit more before we dive into recommendations but They concluded that the data obtained from the cockpit voice recorder revealed that the crew did not comply with the operational procedures laid down in the relevant manuals, in particular the requirement to call out the altimeter readings during the final approach phase. Again, they didn't do any of the call-outs, which was their ultimate problem because then they never
2: went around. Knew how low they were. Yeah, Yeah, they didn't
1: even know they were going to touch the ground when they did.
2: Well, and then my thought is, is if they didn't follow that procedure, what other procedures did they not follow? Right. You know? right? Did they do their landing checklist? Did they do everything they were supposed to do before landing? Because to me, right. if they had done all those things, they probably wouldn't have crashed. So,
1: Good chance. They concluded that before colliding with the truck, the aircraft's crew applied maximum engine power, according to the flight data recorder, and the engines responded normally. Although airborne, the aircraft was in an uncontrolled bank to the right, so that eventually the right wing scraped along taxiway Alpha... The aircraft then collided with an airport building where it caught fire and was completely destroyed.
2: So when you hear the cockpit voice recorder, you hear them screaming. That's because they hit the ground. They didn't realize they were that close. And I don't know if they saw the truck.
1: I don't think they, I mean, they might have seen the truck. They probably realized they were in the wrong place.
0: They were probably screaming more to the fact that they were uncontrollably rolling.
1: Well, yeah. They were. They had already struck several objects. They knew that the airplane was out of control and in a horrible situation. And then before them, they could probably see the worst Eventually, thing. Eventually, they the would have building. seen the, the building, building. The worst yeah. thing imaginable. That's what I would scream at. Yeah, that's what they were probably screaming at. So there's a probable cause.
0: There is. So the probable cause in the ICO circular... Non-compliance with the meteorological minima for the approach procedure as cleared. Failure to comply with the aircraft's operating procedures during the approach phase and landing on a runway closed to traffic.
1: So they basically in that place the blame entirely on the crew.
0: They're not wrong. Rightfully so. Yeah,
1: they're really not wrong. Which is why the one big thing that glared at me, because this was such a huge breakdown in... In the cruise CRM operations before yes. CRM. CRM and operations, and just. They were totally disoriented. All three of them, somehow. They were totally disoriented. They entered the fog bank and they just had no clue where they were, and they seemed so out of it, which is incredible when you have a captain who has 31,000 hours, which, again, yes, of course, that amount of experience doesn't necessarily speak to.
2: Mastery. Mastery,
1: yeah. but. but To some level, it should. They've had a lot of time in the cockpit. They should be well aware. At what point do you become too comfortable and you lose it?
2: And and complacent. We also talked about how the airline had given them documents when this... Their dispatch. Yeah. Well, their dispatch gave them documents not only on this flight, but if they did this flight more than once, they should have already known that this runway was closed. So... It's one of those things where I don't think they intended to land on that runway, but they weren't paying attention. And that's also the problem with you using an ILS on a different runway and then sidestepping. Because right. if the crew's not paying attention, they're going to land on the wrong runway.
1: Yes. So we'll get to that in just a second. Because that side-step thing is a big thing. But the reality is, is this is another key accident that actually played into resource management existing because this wasn't very long before crew resource management really became a term and then further became a training tool. So this was a key accident to show there was a massive breakdown from really experienced people in a normal situation that should have gone relatively normal. I mean, yes, there was, there was some loopholes and, and, or not some loopholes, some, some curveballs thrown at them like the fog and the closed runway and the ILS on the wrong runway that Those things, but there's they had all the resources to do the right thing, and they didn't use it. So it's obviously very costly, and crew resource management these days has fixed so many of those problems, let alone technology, and the fact that Mexico City probably has a functioning ILS for both runways now. And just the same, I mean, there's so many things now, there's so many procedures in place, but... Yes, the one big thing that did end up coming out of this was the term sidestep. Recommendations. So there's really only two recommendations. And these come from the NTSB, by the way, which they published their own document for this. But there's only two of them. But they wrote some extra notes in here that I'll, I'll get to in a minute. First of all, they recommended to the FAA to revise the FAA Handbook 826019 to require that separate standardized instrument approach charts be published for all airport approaches that require a sidestep maneuver so this was kind of one of the first times that was thrown in as an actual word these charts should clearly indicate the airport approach plan view the profile view and the landing minima required now if you look at an approach chart from around this time to only a handful of years later It does change significantly. They do have the profile view, and they do have the uh, landing minimum required printed on the charts. And prior to that, it wasn't necessarily on the charts. It was just more in the dispatch documents or given by air traffic control. So this was a big, big thing. Adding these to the charts meant that that information should have been plastered right in front of them all the time. It wasn't there for them at the time. Didn't mean they didn't have the information they needed, but it should have been more accessible. And that was one big thing that did come out of this. And then they recommended publishing an advisory circular or amending an existing advisory circular to disseminate information on the sidestep maneuver procedures, terminal ATC communication procedures, radar separation and equipment requirements, and landing minima applicable to the use of the sidestep maneuver by American air carriers at both domestic and foreign airports.
2: So... Did they not have training on sidesteps? Did they not, not know how to do a sidestep?
1: Not much. It's not untold. It's not impossible. I mean, it's pretty basic. You're flying an approach, and then you just jump over to the other runway at the last second and land. Turn. Yeah, you turn, turn, again, and you line up. You just use that instrument approach to follow Take down closer to... closer to
2: the runway threshold.
1: Yes, follow down to basically a minimum, or to a minimum descent altitude, usually an MDA, and then you would jump over and final finalize your approach so these are practice often but adding the sidestep maneuver as a term meant that it was something that it could be trained on so saying the term you know it doesn't sound like much but then it was something that could truly be trained on and then it was something that could also be written into official procedures for airports and these sidestep maneuvers became standard and it was something that was standard as a training and this changed Really the dynamic of performing procedures like this, when you're flying into fog and a runway's closed, and you should know that, you know that, so you know it's a critical thing to make that sidestep maneuver. By drilling in that term, now you've made that maneuver something the pilots will do. It's a big part of career resource management is repetition, of course, and making something so repetitious that it becomes automatic at the time.
2: Repetitive?
1: Yes. Repetitive.
2: Hey, repetition. I like the word. It's spicy. (laughs) Repetitious.
3: Is there uh, any difference between an ILS
1: to a sidestep and an ILS to a circling approach? Do you know? You know, I don't know how they would be published separately, but they do have separate terms, obviously. A circling approach literally does something different. But I think they both go down to MDA. Before you right. make the decision to do the, the, the opposite. I think that's really the this only is, difference. But would MDA be
3: different for a circling
1: versus a sidestep? You know, I don't know. sidestep, you don't have to go as far. Right. I think the MDA probably has a separate... The MDA is probably separate for the, the circling approach because uh, it has to account for any obstacles on that approach. And actually, we talked about this on a Jamaica flight because they were doing that circling approach, but they had to deal with mountains on one side. So the MDA only descended a certain distance so that they could avoid the obstacles. It if wasn't there, really if, mountains, it was like terrain along If there the are
0: side. any pilots out there who can answer this question...
1: We'd love to more, know more, and I'm sure I can do some research on it, but we'd love to know more, because this is a curious thing. Each approach probably has an MDA, but are they different? So, they mentioned a couple other things in this document that were also very interesting, and I, I kind of like what they talk about. So I'm going to read this. They said, on October 31st, 1979, Western Airlines, McDonnell Douglas, DC-10... Crash to Mexico City International Airport, although the aircraft was cleared for Tepexapan arrival and was advised that the landing runway is 2-3 right, the crew continued the approach for 2-3 left, which was close to repairs. The aircraft struck heavy equipment, 76 passengers, 13 crew aboard, 61 passengers, and 11 crew members were fatally injured. The crew were advised on at least four occasions by either Mexico City Air Route Traffic Control Center or the tower that they were to land on runway 2-3 right, however... None of these air traffic control communications contain phraseology similar to that used in the United States air traffic control communications regarding oh, a sidestep maneuver.
2: Oh, okay. So they didn't have the same verbiage that they were used to right. hearing. So
1: the reason this is key is because they wanted this not just to the FAA, but...
0: It needs to be an international, international
1: standard. Right. So what the what the NTSB was really saying here is that if the if the FAA would adopt this, because that's the only governing body they can control, right, or work with. They can talk to the ICAO, but the ICAO can't really follow anything they tell them to do. The FAA kind of has to comply with recommendations they give. They're usually supposed to give a response. ICAO, not as much. So by telling the FAA this should be something that's put in place, and the FAA can then agree, the FAA then has quite a lot of power when it comes to the ICAO and the IATA. So that becoming standard in the United States, then will probably force the rest of the world to kind of become standard as well. And it did. The sidestep maneuver is now an internationally recognized term and training tool by the ICAO, IATA, and so on and so forth.
2: That kind of makes sense, though, because if you aren't using the same verbiage you're used to hearing, it's not going to trigger anything, Right. right? And if they were tired, if they were fatigued, again, we don't have a lot of information about the crew and all that stuff before this flight, but... If they were tired and they weren't – clearly they weren't really paying attention because they didn't realize how close they were to the ground. If they didn't hear the verbiage that would automatically spark them to do a sidestep approach, then they probably wouldn't have even noticed that they had to do it until it was too late.
1: Right. Right. They did add in a little note at the end of that paragraph, too, that says, the investigation revealed that both pilots knew the, that runway 23 left was closed. Right. And that each had landed aircraft at the airport while the runway was closed. So,
2: so see, that's what I was saying. So, they if they had aware. landed at that airport before, which it says they did, then they knew that that runway was closed, Before they landed. So, to me, it's probably an altitude issue rather than not knowing that that runway is And that's kind
0: of supported by the CVR as well. It didn't sound like they were questioning if they're supposed to be landing on runway 23 left. It's more of, we can't see the runway. Let's do a go-around. Oh, crap.
1: Right. So, while while this was a, obviously, pilot error, my big question that isn't answered anywhere here is... Is why were they disoriented? I mean, wh- how did they end up in this situation really? because okay, I think it was pilot error. I know they were confused. I knew they flew into kind of a, an odd situation, but it wasn't anything that shouldn't have been something that could deal with
0: and this is definitely something that, if it had been published by a more prominent investigation authority, they would have gone more into depth of. Prominent for the time, anyways. They would have gone more in-depth into what might have caused such a disorientation. Was it fatigue? Was it just complete spatial disorientation because of the fog? Right. Because this this investigation, in particular, was not done in the same extent that most reports that we see, we're lacking that information.
1: Right. Some of the things that make this question a little more... Pertinent to me is the fact that the air traffic controller did give them weather information, current weather information for the airport. They had told them there was fog, basically. They should have known roughly when they would enter the fog. That should have given them an idea of even how close to the ground they were.
0: Yes, but that doesn't mean that you don't still get disoriented. Of course
1: not. So why did that disorientation last so long, and how did that happen in the first place? That's the key thing.
2: Again, if they were fatigued, that could play into that. Yeah. If also, they couldn't see the ground, that plays into that. If they weren't looking at their instruments, it plays into that. And yes. then I'm still going back to lighting.
0: We have no idea what the lighting situation right. was. That could have been a huge factor for all we know, because it was a huge factor for Singapore Flight 6. Right. So I guess... Would that I could go back in time, that would be what I would investigate in particular.
3: Right. One thing that kind of jumped out at me is they didn't set their altimeter
1: right to the current
0: Yeah, setting. exactly.
1: They didn't set the altimeter to the current setting, which
3: means they never
2: been.
1: would have known what the altitude actually was. That's true, too. So that's another key thing. And then one big thing that did change is also now we have, if you're approaching the ground too quickly... Your plane is capable of telling you that. Yeah. So the H-E-B-W-S, Even when it's configured for landing, if you're still approaching at too high of a sink rate. Think rate. Think rate. It literally rate. screams out, think rate. Think rate. <laughs> it sounds like think rate. It really does in the cockpit. But it's saying sink rate. Pull up. Whoop, whoop. Too low gear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's if the gear's not down. Oh, yeah. Too low terrain. Yeah. That. So, yes, what it will tell you is to pull up and it'll tell you sink rate. So I was telling you, you're coming in way too quickly. So modern airplanes will do that now. If you're approaching the ground and you're disoriented...
2: The airplane also gives you your readouts now? Yes, it also you gives you your have readouts to do now. Which that. is
1: obviously the big thing 20, we talked about. 2,500. Yes.
2: Just in general,
0: instrumentation aboard modern aircraft is way better. Oh, it's better. significantly better.
1: Absolutely. The A3,
3: you don't even have to touch the controls to land the damn
1: thing.
0: Yeah, you <laughs> can touch down. They actually landed an A350,
1: fully automated. They took it off, too. Actually, fully automated. And, yeah, it knows what taxiway you
3: want to get off, and it applies the right amount of braking, and just...
1: It just does it for you, yeah. It's off the runway. Yeah, they actually, um, with the A350, look it up recently, they actually taxied the A350 fully automated. To the gate? <laughs> to its parking spot, yeah. Goodbye, Dang. pilots. Yeah, goodbye, pilots. <laughs> that, now, that, that will never happen. Yeah, just so you know, like, this whole conversation about getting pilots out of the cockpit, yes, that is kind of what they're trying to do, but at the same time, it's going to be Machines pretty much impossible. Machines can
2: malfunction. And machines can also make mistakes, even though they it's not the same kind of mistakes as human mistakes.
1: There's too many variables when you throw something into the sky at a really high speed. So that was a little off topic, but yes. Um, They had one more paragraph in here about the sidestep maneuver. It says, the safety board believes that a good graphic presentation of the sidestep maneuver on the approach chart would have aided the crew.
0: Was it not on the approach chart? Oh.
2: not when they were not for this accident. Yes.
1: So it also clarifies this isn't even standard in the United States yet. Nowhere on standard United States approach charts is the complete maneuver portrayed, nor is the word, quote, sidestep, unquote, shown. The procedure is shown as a straight in approach to an adjacent runway as a circling approach to the sidestep runway.
3: Yes. And that answers the question.
1: Yes, it pretty much does. Because, yeah,
3: because it's a circling approach then.
1: Yes, to the other runway, yeah. Or, as a note, at the bottom of the chart, giving ceiling and visibility minima. So, important things that should have been there anyways. In the last sentence, in the accident case, the Mexico City chart for runway 23 right contained only ceiling and visibility minima. So, not say anything about the sidestep maneuver or anything like
2: well, that. Well, to be fair, they wouldn't really have to use it if the other runway was working, but it wasn't. But you
0: also have to account for situations like that.
2: Well, yeah, but I, we're talking about, you know, 1970s aviation. They didn't know that this would happen, that this could happen. I know. So when this something like this happens, that's why things are added to the approach chart. Because they go, huh, uh, you see, this could also be a problem somewhere else. Maybe we should make a, a thing so that they know what to do when this happens. Yeah, And guess what? They did
1: <laughs> <laughs> There's actually a lot of key changes that came out of this one Which is why it's really surprising to me that there's no report on this And that's not maybe a more widely known accident Because it was actually a pretty catastrophic accident In Mexico City, actually, this is kind of well known Because there's a few really key accidents in Mexico City that are pretty well known Yep, Learjet Yeah, we'll get to that one someday But September Yes This is still the third worst accident in Mexican history. So that's crazy. I mean, this was horrible. At the time, it was the second. The 1969 727 crash of Mexicana Flight 704 was before this, and it was deadlier.
2: All right, friends. That was Western Airlines Flight 2605. Good job. Hey, I didn't even need the help of a slideshow this time. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to our patrons for supporting us and helping us. Thanks to everyone for listening. Yeah, no
3: thanks to those of you that are not on Patreon. <laughs>
2: hey, oh be nice God. to them.
3: They're still listening. Sorry. Okay.
2: Thank you for we listening. We like them
3: a lot. We like you. We appreciate the patrons that we do have. If yes. you can do it,
1: that's great. If not, that's okay.
3: And if you are a patron, you're one of the lower levels, and you want to bump up, because you should, <laughs> you don't have to. You
0: don't have to.
3: We appreciate what you We
2: appreciate most. you for supporting us, Period.
3: Yeah, but we would still appreciate you more.
2: So. <laughs> no more or
3: nor less. Remember- I, sorry, I just want to say that I am kidding. Yes. He is, he is kidding. He's,
2: please know that he is he completely is sarcastic. He always being sarcastic. Yes, he's completely sarcastic.
1: That's why we haven't. <laughs> Thank
3: That's you. why
2: the blooper reel is so good. If you want to check that out, you have to be a patron. Anyway, remember Wait, to put in your... When you fell in love with aviation stories on the website... Also, if you have any questions about us, about podcasting, about aviation, you can go ahead and also submit that on the podcast. Uh, fun fact, we are looking into merch right now. It should be a foreseeable future type of thing, so keep your eye out for yeah, that. Yeah, there's
1: a lot of active things going on with that.
2: And we, again, thank you. Be safe. Be healthy.
3: Like, subscribe, comment, smash <laughs> the thumbs up button.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> like a YouTuber.
2: And we will catch you all next time. Keep, Keep your speed, speed up. up. Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Podcast, and on Twitter at Pod. Subscribe and leave a five-star
0: review on the platform you are using to listen.
1: If you would like to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at hardlandingspodcast.com, where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions.
2: This episode was researched and written by Nick and Christy. Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us, plus Leo.
1: And our logo is by Naomi from Not a Monster, Not a Boogeyman.
2: Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.